The Steve Lobby Agency presents The Christian Publishing Show, a podcast for writers who want to advance Christ's kingdom using the written word. Here's your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. In this episode, I would like to talk about the importance of hustle as an author. This is one of the factors that I look for and the kinds of authors I want to sign as an agent, and it is so important. And the reason why hustle is important is because we live in a world that is cursed, specifically cursed by God. Because of our sin, God cursed the soil to have thorns and weeds. And that curse is pervasive, so it continues beyond just farming. If you want to farm, you have to put in the work to remove weeds. And if you want to have success in publishing, you must be willing to put in the work there too. Your success will only come by the sweat of your brow. This is the curse. And our enemy to success uh, and working through those thorns in whatever industry we are in is entitlement. Entitlement is expecting the crop to grow without the work. It's the killer of many author careers. So what does entitlement look like for authors? Well, it could be, my idea is so unique, my book deserves to get published and sell like crazy. The reality is, a good idea is not enough to save bad writing and bad marketing. Or an author may say, my writing is so good, my book deserves to thrive. But good writing alone is not good enough for success. You also need to have a good idea. You also need to have good marketing. Uh, My marketing is so good that my book deserves to thrive. Well, good marketing helps a bad book fail faster. So marketing alone is not enough. Uh, Or entitlement may look like, say, an author who says, my last book was a bestseller, so my next book deserves to be a bestseller. The reality is that past success makes future success easier. It does not make it guaranteed. Just because your last book was successful, there are no promises for the next one. You have to win each sports game uh, itself. Just because you beat the last team doesn't mean that you're entitled to beat the next team. Another way that entitlement rears its ugly head for authors is, my book is a bestseller, therefore it deserves to win awards. The reality is that communities that give out rewards uh, to books and communities who buy books are not the same. You must thrill them separately. Uh, Or, uh, put another way, my book won awards, so it deserves to be a bestseller. So this knife cuts both ways. And the reality is most readers don't care about most rewards, just like most movie watchers don't care about the Golden Globes or the Academy Awards. Sure, some people care about awards, and some people are going to go out and buy every Academy Award movie. I'm not one of those people. The kind of movies I watch have giant dragons and robots and are not the kind of movies that are nominated for Academy Awards. And so whether or not a movie is nominated, I don't really care because that's not the kind of movie watcher I am. And in the same way, I don't really care as a reader if a book has won awards as to whether or not I'm going to buy it. So just because you've won an award doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to have a best-selling book. Another very common way that entitlement shows itself amongst Christian writers is God called me to write, so my book deserves to thrive. 
Well, just because God gave the children of Israel the land of Canaan, it did not mean that they didn't still need to do the work to take possession of the land. Remember, this curse is pervasive and this curse is by God. There's no appealing to some higher power. God has cursed the land with thorns and thistles. The land still has thorns and thistles. And there's a big difference between God giving you the power to slay giants and slaying the giants for you. Just because God called them into uh, the land of Canaan didn't mean that he sent a plague to kill all the giants and all the cities. They had to go city by city conquering the land. And you are going to have to do the same. Just because God has called you to write doesn't mean that suddenly you get to take shortcuts, that there's some easier path that's the righteous path. And all those sinners have to walk the hard path, but I'm walking the righteous path that is the easy path. I hate to break it to you, but narrow is the way that leads to salvation. Our righteous path is actually the harder path, not the shorter, the easier path. Now, that said, Jesus said he would be with us until the end of the age. And so in that sense, it is easier because we have Christ in us, our hope for glory. Uh, that's all the preaching I'll do. I, I'll get back to entitlement. Uh, the final way is I was successful in my past career, so I deserve to thrive in this one. Some people come to writing after being successful in IT or being a successful pastor or being a successful radio personality, and they think that that success is going to lead them to success with their book, and that is sadly not true. Uh, you have to start over with this career just like starting over with any career. Uh, even similar careers, you don't get much transfer credit. Michael Jordan's success as a basketball player did not make him a star baseball player. You'd think they're very similar sports. They require athletic ability. He's a top-tier athlete. Surely he will thrive, and yet he did not thrive because to be successful at baseball, you have to put in the deliberate practice and the deliberate work to become good at baseball. There are no shortcuts, even for Michael Jordan. So uh, the solution to entitlement, maybe one of these things I've mentioned has resonated with you. Maybe quite a few of them have, and you're realizing that you have some entitlement uh, lurking in uh, your heart. Well, do not despair. There's some ways of getting over that entitlement. In fact, I have four factors here of, of hustle. So hustle is the answer to entitlement, and I have four factors of hustle. So let's talk about hustle factor number one, which is learning. A teachable spirit is critical for success. It is also the hallmark of truly great writers. I remember giving a talk on persuasion at Mount Hermon, and this was, I think, the last session of a really long week. So this was an optional session. Nobody had to be there. Almost everyone skips this session. It's a very poorly attended session, regardless of what the topic is. And here I am. I'm tired. I don't really want to be there. And I'm not expecting the students to want to be there. And who is sitting on the front row but one of the top authors of the industry, a luminary that if I gave this author's name, you would all recognize her name. Very, very famous. And she was there taking notes, trying to learn everything she could from me, who was at the time completely unknown. I was shocked that she came to my class and I was shocked that she asked so many questions, but she was eager to learn, even though she was already at the top of her craft. And I will say the great ones never stop improving. The wonder, the one hit wonders uh, will stop. They give up and often they wonder why they don't continue to have success. And it's because they did not continue to study. 
there's two areas where you need to never stop learning, and those are writing and marketing, the craft of writing and the craft of marketing. Now, eventually, you will get to the point where you run out of traditional learning sources. Like for me, I've been reading marketing books for 10 years, and it's hard to find books on marketing that are teaching things that I haven't already read in some other book on marketing. But that doesn't mean that my learning ends. It just means that I have to find new ways to learn. Uh, For me, this means watching what other people are doing and what they're doing to promote their works and what is working and what is not, letting my competitors be my tutors, uh, so to speak. Uh, It also means looking outside of my industry to see what people are doing in other places to promote their work. Part of my competitive edge as a marketer is that I'm looking to things like Roman history for marketing ideas, which is not a place most marketers look. Uh, But this also applies to craft. Masters like Stephen King continue to learn. Now, Stephen King doesn't learn by taking classes on writing, although he may still do that from time to time. Uh, J.K. Rowling famously uh, went to some classes on writing even after she had several successful books, and that led to her books getting even better. I remember hearing a story about that. Um, But they also continue getting editing and coaching from their editors. Uh, They have coaches that continue to work with them. This is very common amongst top athletes. Tiger Woods still has a golf coach. Serena Williams, greatest female tennis player of all time. You'd think she doesn't need a tennis coach, and yet she has one because even Serena Williams needs an outside perspective. If you want to be one of the great ones, if you want to be a master, you cannot ever feel like you have arrived, that you know everything you need to know. That is the beginning of the end for your career, that thinking, that entitlement. Like, because I did all this work, I am entitled to success without having to do continued work in the future. You just can't think that way. You have to fight against that weed in your mind that will lead to weeds in your work. Uh, You never grow out of needing a coach. All right. So let's talk about hustle factor number two, which is actually doing the work. (laughs) Writing requires hard work. If you are expecting your second book to take less work than your first book, don't be surprised if it sees less success too. Sometimes after several books, authors start to take shortcuts. They start to feel entitled because of all the work they put in already. And those shortcuts can undermine the success of their future books, sometimes completely sabotage or torpedo the success of their future books. Marketing too takes hard work. You owe it to your book to do the work to get it out into the world. Now, let me be clear. This does not mean spending a lot of time on social media. Uh, Social media doesn't work for marketing books, especially after the Facebook changes in the early uh, 2018. Um, The changes that Facebook made made Facebook basically a completely broken platform for selling books. And I'm going to do more episodes on this in the future. There's a lot of misnomers about Facebook and a lot of people wasting a lot of time on Facebook. And so when it comes to marketing, you can't just be willing to do the marketing work, but you also have to be willing to study marketing to see what works uh, and what is continuing to work. Because especially with marketing, it changes what was very effective. Social media in 2010 was a very effective strategy. In 2019, it is not an effective strategy. It just doesn't work. Uh, I'm not seeing results uh, from any of the campaigns that I'm looking at. I'm seeing lots of wasted time. And once you take social media out of the strategy, it forces you to find other things to put in that strategy that are often far more effective. 
Uh, when it comes to what works and what doesn't, I have an entire podcast about this called the Novel Marketing Podcast that I co-host with best-selling author James L. Rubart. You can find that at novelmarketing.com. And every week we talk about what works, what doesn't, and how to do it. We also interview lots of experts and people who have been there already so you can learn from the mistakes of others, which is much more fun than learning from your own mistakes. And that podcast is 100% free. So I encourage you to check it out. All right, let's talk about hustle factor number three, which is reviewing. According to the book, Talent is Overrated, it takes 10,000 hours of deliberate practice to become a master of something. Uh, now, a lot of people will put in 10,000 hours doing something and they're still not a master and they're like, oh, that book was wrong. Well, the problem is there's a big difference between practice and deliberate practice. This is often the difference between success and failure, especially in high competition fields like music and writing, where being second best reaches one-tenth of the people as being first best. Deliberate practice is key. So what makes practice deliberate practice? Well, one is having a clear goal. Uh, one of the things that separates good authors from great authors is how quickly they're able to write. So perhaps your goal is, I want to be able to write 5,000 words a day. Um, and so you that you set your goal. Or maybe you have a craft goal of, I want uh, to get less than 10 editor corrections per page, something like that. The second element of deliberate practice is measurement. So keeping track, maybe on a spreadsheet or on a document. How many words did I write yesterday? How many did I write the day before that? How many corrections did I get on my last chapter? Uh, how many free throws did I make? If you're a basketball player, you do deliberate practice on three free throws and you measure it, right? Some... Uh, Basketball players make, you know, 90 out of 100 free throws, and some basketball players make 30 out of 100 free throws. Uh, one player is going to be much more effective on his team than another. And the third element of reviewing is mentorship. We've kind of hinted at this uh, throughout this episode, but an editor, an agent, a coach, maybe all three are key for helping you become a master in your craft. As my co-host and novel marketing often says, uh, James L. Rubart, he says, it's hard to read the label when you're standing inside the bottle. And that is so true. There's no substitute for an outside perspective. And so if you want to turn your practice into deliberate practice, you've got to get those other eyes on your writing. You've got to get those other eyes on your marketing, giving you feedback. And it's important that that person know what they're talking about. So just because your husband or wife likes your writing doesn't mean that it's good writing. If your husband or wife is not a professional writer, they may not be the person to ask. <laughs> you may need to ask somebody who is an expert, right? If you were to, if Serena Williams were to ask me for tennis advice, I would have nothing to tell her because I don't know anything about tennis. So even though I'm an outside perspective, I'm not expert outside perspective, and I couldn't give her even one piece of feedback. <laughs> and yet her coach is constantly giving her feedback. Uh, and I think that's something that needs to be paid more attention to in writing, the importance of mentorship and coaching. And the cheapest way to get this is to have an agent, right? It's cheaper because you don't pay an agent out of your own pocket. A coach or an editor, you're going to be paying out of your own pocket, especially if you're indie published, you pay your editor out of pocket. If you're traditional published, the editor uh, is free, so to speak. Uh, so anyway, that's reviewing. Another aspect of this is uh, reviewing your work uh, just as a consumer. So for instance, with podcasting, I listen to every podcast I create. I listen to every 
guest interview. I do. I do tons of guest podcast interviews on different podcasts around the web. In fact, I have an entire podcast of just my guest interviews on various topics at thomasumstadt.com. And I go back and I listen to every one, trying to listen to things that I need to improve. In fact, I just did an interview and I had this really loud breath sound because of a microphone setting and I and it was so annoying. I was annoying my own self with my own guest interview. And this is after doing dozens, if not hundreds of guest interviews. I'm still finding things to fix, still finding things to learn. Okay, so here we are to the end, the final hustle factor, number four, which is probably not what you think it is resting. It may sound counterintuitive, but the key to hustle is rest. Uh, rest sharpens the mind. It sh- another way to think of this is it sharpens the axe. Uh, so if you're trying to cut down a tree, what do you want to do? Use a sharp axe or a dull axe. The uh, rest allows you to get a maximum return on energy. Activity alone is not enough. If you want results, it has to be profitable results. Hitting a tree with a dull axe is activity, but it is not results. Without rest, we can turn into writing zombies, doing nothing but the bare minimum and only responding to the most urgent tasks. And if your writing feels like whacking away at a tree with a dull axe, you may need rest. (laughs) And I will say, rest is something I personally have been thinking a lot about. I have a newborn baby and a bassinet in my bedroom, and she wakes up frequently uh, and asks for uh, midnight snacks. And, uh, my rest is disrupted. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The normal kind of rest. Uh, this is normal. What other parents tell me, everyone goes through this. And babies apparently will learn to sleep through the night. And I keep telling myself that. But uh, sleeping at night is only one form of rest. In the Bible, we see three kinds of rest. And I think these three kinds of rests are very important for writers. Uh, the first is daily rest, right? It's sleeping at night, finding good rest and good nourishment at night. In fact, just last night, uh, we put a new mattress topper on our bed. And my wife and I both had the best sleep we have had in a long time. It did not fix the crying baby problem, but we did sleep better. <laughs> it was the best investment I ever made. 80 bucks. It was the top reviewed mattress topper on Amazon. Had like 3,000 reviews. And we're like, well, gosh, 3,000 Amazon reviewers can't be wrong. And after one day of using it, I can say I'm glad I spent the money. So daily rest is important. Getting good sleep is important. But there's also this concept in the Bible called weekly rest. This is the most famous of the biblical forms of rest. It's taking Saturday off. Or as Christians, we recognize Christ rising on Sunday by taking Sunday off instead. But the principle is the same. It's not about what day you take off. And and I'm not saying that you need to follow this religiously. But I am saying that there is a principle here that's very practical. Uh, I remember studying the Oregon Trail in school, in middle school, high school. And I remember seeing in the textbook a flyer that was given out to the wagon trains that said, if you rest one day in seven on your way to Oregon, you will get there two weeks sooner or three weeks sooner. I don't remember exactly how much sooner you will get, but they've done some research. And if you've ever played the video game Oregon Trail, you totally believe it. Because what slows you down traveling across the country is not going slowly. It's not resting. It's the catastrophic events, right? Somebody gets dysentery and they're about to die. So you end up being forced to rest. This is the thing about rest. If you don't choose to do it, you will be forced to do it. If you do not rest, your body will demand it eventually and manufacture a sickness or fall prey to a sickness to force you to rest. 
The final kind of rest, speaking of being forced to rest, is uh, what I would like to call sabbatical rest. This is the uh, one year in seven where the Israelites were not supposed to farm their fields. And the academic institution is one of the only industries in the world that actually recognizes this. And they're like, we get better performance from our tenured professors when we force them to take one year off in seven. This is where the term sabbatical comes from, Sabbath itokal. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, but this is a very powerful principle and one that I don't see a lot of authors taking advantage of. Take a year off from writing from time to time and let the soil of your mind recharge with nutrients. The promise that God made the Israelites is that if they would take one year off in seven, he would bless them so much in the sixth year that they would be fully fed all the way through the seventh year with food left over. Can we trust God to do the same for us? Uh, I will say I have a friend of mine who is taking a year off of writing. And I think this is brilliant. And I think this author is going to see incredible success at the end of this year break. Uh, the writing is going to be better. The marketing is going to be better. The ideas are going to be better. Everything will be recharged because uh, of this honoring of this biblical principle of taking off a year and seven. And I will say when uh, God exiled the Israelites and allowed the Babylon Babylonians to come in and take away uh, the children of Judah uh, or the, uh, the tribe of Judah, the time that they were in exile was equal to the number of annual rests they skipped. <laughs> so uh, if you do not choose to rest, rest will be forced upon you. Uh, crop rotation. It's not just a principle for farming. And finally, this is true for athletes. The kind of rest they get is as important as the kind of workouts they do. In fact, resting when it comes to bodybuilding and like for football players is really key part of the regiment uh, because your muscles need time to recuperate. So you're working really hard and you're resting really hard. And there's a strategy to this. There's a reason why sports comes in seasons. There's the season of doing sports and there's the season of resting. And there's a reason for everything. There is a season, a season to hustle and a season to rest. So I hope this has been helpful. I hope that you learn to fight entitlement uh, and all the various ways that it may rear its head in your experience and in your life. And hopefully uh, the hustle factors of learning, doing, reviewing, and resting will help you do that. This episode is brought to you by the Christian Writers Institute. Now, normally I would say, hey, here's a featured course for the Christian Writers Institute. But today I'd like to say, subscribe to the Christian Writers Institute email list. You're going to want to know about the Black Friday deal and the Cyber Monday deal that's coming out from the Christian Writers Institute. And the only way to get that deal is to get on the email subscription for the Christian Writers Institute. I will have a link on how to do that in the show notes. And trust me, this is one you're not going to want to miss. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. Thank you for listening to the Christian Publishing Show. Thank you for listening to The Christian Publishing Show. For more information and to get episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit christianpublishingshow.com.